his birth. There was talk of his death. The one who held everything together by his word was being held by a virgin mother. And he'd come into this world to pay for our sins. Jesus Christ is the sacrifice of heaven. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Anointed One. What we see in these three gifts from the Magi tell us so much about the character of our Savior. The gold, that He is indeed the King of Kings. The frankincense, that He is the Priest of Priests. And the myrrh, the myrrh, that He is the sacrifice of heaven. Myrrh was a very strange gift to give a child. Myrrh is what was used along with aloe when a person died. They would take the burial cloth and they would anoint it with that myrrh and aloe, drench it, and then cover the body with that cloth. This gift said so much about this life that had come to rescue sinners. This, this gift was an exuberant gift. What, what Nicodemus did here was, was something. Nicodemus uh, purchased the myrrh. You, we read about this in John 19. You remember Nicodemus from John 3 came to visit Jesus at night. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 70 pounds, 75 pounds away. That's a lot of, uh, of myrrh, by the way. This is the only truth of the uh, factuality of the scriptures because, you know, if a woman had bought that, probably, you know, 10 pounds, but send a man, he's going to buy in bulk every time. And he did, way, way more than that was needed. And this picture is, is powerful. The fact that there's, there's myrrh in his birth and that there was going to be myrrh in the end pointed to the cost of his coming. Today I want us to really think about his body. I'm just going to think about this infant who grew in wisdom and in stature with favor in God and man, as Luke 2.52 tells us. How he lived a holy life how he died, and, and then what happened with his body. We know what, what happened you know, with his body on earth, but then where his body is now. And I want us to really think seriously about where his body is soon to be. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and go with me now to Hebrews chapter 9. I'm going to ask my sweet daughter to come. She's going to provide our reading. This was a Christmas surprise for me. I did not know that she was going to be our reader this morning. She showed up with a microphone on. I thought there was a mistake, but here she is, right? So I'll stand together in honor of God's Word. She's going to read uh, this potent passage in uh, Hebrews 9, verses 27 and 28. Read that for us, sweet girl. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are waiting for him. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sweet girl. If you would go ahead and be seated. You can't stop what God has decided to do. It's going to get done. And either you can join with Him or you can stand in opposition to Him. But make no mistake, there is no middle ground. You are either standing with Christ 
or you are standing against Him. And make no mistake, whatever God is determined to do, He's going to get it done. God determined before the foundation of the world that He Himself would enter into this world through the womb of a virgin to live a holy life and to die the atoning death for our sin. He determined before the foundation of the world that, that He would be raised on the third day. He determined before the foundation of the world that He would create a movement through those who would be born again into this marvelous light and life. And that He would bring healing to the world through the hands of His body, the body of Christ, the church. And last but not least, He determined before the foundation of the world that there would be a new heaven and a new earth. And that this one who is Savior would come again. And that is what we're waiting for. This is the new advent. This is what we're looking to see happen now. Understand that Jesus is the hero of the Bible. He's the hero of the world. He's our only hope. You know, right now there's all these, and there have always been, it seems, these superhero movies. You know, these, these characters who come and they're bigger than life. But they can never really provide what is ultimately needed and as cool and as exciting as the movies may be. And there's a t-shirt out right now. I meant to bring a, a picture of it. It's all the current superheroes uh, sitting around Jesus and Jesus saying, and so that's how I actually save the world. Jesus is the ultimate hero. Now, and I want to make this point. I want to make sure you understand this very clearly. You can't be the hero of your story. You can't. Understand, there's never going to be a station that you're going to be able to reach in life that's going to satisfy the longing of your soul. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what it is, and, and we all have pursuits. There's a difference between a pursuit and a calling. When God has called you, you're pursuing His purpose, a pursuit, a human pursuit, whatever it may be. It will never satisfy you. No matter, some of you, it's, if you have a certain look that you're going for, you're, you're looking for a certain income, you're looking for a certain house, a certain car, a certain something, a certain relationship, a certain experience. If I can ever get to this place and have this experience, and then I'll know, then I'll have arrived, then everything will be good. It's a lie. No created thing will ever satisfy the longing of your eternal soul. And I also want to say this. You can't be the hero of somebody else's story. You can't. You can't save your child. You can't save your grandchild. You can't save your parents. You can't save your spouse. You can't save your friends. You can't save your marriage. You can't save your family. Jesus can. Jesus has the power to take what is dead and bring it back to life. Jesus has the power to take what was broken and make it whole. We live in a broken world right now. Is that God's fault? No. Why is it broken? It's because of our sin. God created all things to be in harmony. All we're going to do is make it worse. Jesus Christ is the ultimate hero. He came and he provided the ultimate sacrifice, and that's what the gospel is. The gospel is the truth that God himself has come to provide what is needed for our salvation so that we can have the life God designed us to live so we can pursue and recover God's design. The only way you can gain that, you've got to repent. And what that means is you've got to stop trusting in yourself and other created things. You have to believe in the Eternal One, the Promised One, the Anointed One, the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus. He alone can save you. He alone can make all things new. And those who repent and believe gain a hero who will bless us. Now this hero, he brings some, some, some significant things. I want to look at two that are in our text today. Those who receive the sacrifice of heaven, they have a hero who removes the fear of death. 
says in verse 27, and just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, we need not fear that. You don't need to be afraid of death. Everyone in this room, if the Lord tarries, is going to die. And what will that be like? You need to understand, your death, the way that's going to go for you, depends entirely on the object of your faith. Everyone who can hear my voice right now is living by faith in something. You're living by faith. The question is this, what is the object of your faith? Is it something that will last as long as you will? You are an eternal being. If you're trusting in a created thing to save you, you are in trouble. Because when that thing fails, your salvation fails, and you are lost. Christ has come, the only one who can fully save, to be the object of our faith, so that we can always have confidence. Years ago, we were looking for uh, a pastor to come and serve with our senior adults and to lead our care ministry. And our search team had uh, landed on a particular candidate that they believed God was calling. His name was Pastor Bill Wade. And when I asked them about him, I had not talked to him, I hadn't met him yet. When I asked him about them, the, the word that they used to describe him was, he's different. <laughs> and that can be good or bad, right? And so they came and met with us, their team and personnel team came and met with the elders to present this different candidate. And the questioner says, well, what makes him different? They said, well, for instance... We asked them a question, the question we've asked everyone, is what will be a, a highlight of your ministry, something that, you, that uniquely will happen if you leave this ministry, God calls you here. And without missing a beat, he said, I'll help people die well. We've not heard that answer. I didn't know, is, this, is he a mass murderer? I mean, what are, we, what are we doing here? I mean, what's the call? What's, what's going on here? It's a weird guy. But then the description was powerful. He said, you know, when people die, oftentimes the, the devil, the evil one, the accuser will come along and say, you know what, you're not saved. And your life doesn't matter. And God doesn't care about you. And all this pain is just proof that, that you, are, you are left alone and you have no reason to hope. He said, I'll be there to remind them that God loves them, that he's not forgotten them, that God has a plan that they are in days that need saved, and this is their homecoming day, and they can rejoice. One of the great joys of our ministry of being a member of Living Hope Baptist Church is that no one here dies alone. There's always that comfort. And I'm so grateful for the ministry of our deacons and our staff. Uh, Pastor Bill has trained so many people to be there at the right time to provide that word of encouragement, to bring that peace. Now, now we can know without a shadow of death that, that, that death is going to have challenges, but that sting is removed. First Corinthians chapter 15 says this, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that your victory? Make no mistake. Death is hard, and it's sad. It's hard because it's, 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 it's going to hurt for most of us. You know, as I'm getting older, things are hurting that shouldn't hurt, I don't think. Some of you are further along in the game, and you're telling me, oh, it gets worse. But I want you to be encouraged, brothers, where D.A. Kirsten said this once in one of his commentaries. He said, the good thing about Christians is we're not hurting from anything that a good resurrection can't fix. So it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. And it's going to be hard. 
it's hard for the old because it's painful. It's, it's hard for the young, and, and when they die, it's so sad because we know they're going to miss so much. And that, that is true as well. It's always sad. Death is a sad thing. We weren't made to die. We were made to live. I'm so grateful again for our deacons. I'm so grateful for the ministry of this church, especially those who are in small group. I'm also grateful for a ministry that we have that maybe you've never heard about. But we have a remembrance service. Phil Scalzi and her team leads every year. Last Sunday night, we had that service. 24 of our families who have experienced death in the last year had an opportunity to remember and to light a candle and to grieve. That's so very important. We are to grieve loss. It's an important part of the healing process. But we grieve differently when we believe. Uh, first, first Thessalonians chapter 3 talks about the way, we, I'm sorry, chapter 4 talks about the way we grieve. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who've died. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. We grieve with hope. And it's a good grief. Charlie Brown is right. It is a good grief. And if you've had loss this year, then I want to encourage you to join our grief share ministry. And I want to make sure that you understand hope. I also want to say this to everyone. I'm going to read this, and I want you to listen very carefully. For your sake, and for the sake of those who love you, be prepared to die and go to heaven at all times. Never let yourself doubt and leave no doubt with those who know you best as to where you have gone when you die. I cannot tell you how many funerals I have conducted where I've sat with family and friends who want to convince themselves that their loved ones is in heaven. But there's doubt. They say things like, well, I think at the last minute there, maybe there was belief, or I think there was this time when they were young and they made this decision at this camp or this event. I think, I, I, I just, we're just kind of hoping on, we're, we're hanging on to that strength. Friends, do not do that to your family. Do not do that to your friends, and do not do that to yourself. Live in such a way that everyone you know, including yourself, who knows yourself better than anyone else, that you are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, and death is a gift. Make it known to everyone who is near to you that you stand with Jesus Christ and that you will be with Him forever. There's nothing more important that you can do for your loved ones and your friends than to let them know where you stand. Because there's nothing sadder than to see a family and a group of people try to convince themselves that someone is okay when they're not. Make it so that your soul is well. And make sure everyone knows that it is well with your soul. Death may be sad and painful, but it is not hopeless. Those who die in Christ die with hope and with no fear of what's next. Second thing is this. Those who receive the sacrifice of heaven have a hero who is coming back to fix everything. It says verse 28, So Christ... Having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with the sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Jesus Christ just came just as God promised he would. For hundreds of years, the Old Testament was screaming, The Messiah is coming. For hundreds of years, the world was screaming, Oh, Messiah. Come, Psalm 40, how long, O oh Lord, O oh Lord, how long? 
moaning for the coming of the Savior. For hundreds of years, God was preparing to send the Messiah. And He has come. Jesus Christ has come. Born of a virgin, to live a holy life, to die for sin, to be raised on the third day, just as the Bible promised He would. Friends, were I not a believer, I would still have to believe in the Bible, and here's why. Because of the multiple prophecies that have been fully fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Prophecies that spoke of hundreds of years before He was born, where He would be born, when He would be born, where He would be from, and that's just scratching the surface of what the Old Testament says. These prophecies point to the power of, of, of what God has done in the world of this hero. This hero said something very significant. He said not only that he was coming, and that had, he had come, and that he would die and be raised on the third day, he said he was coming again. John 14. We should memorize John 14. My pastor, uh, Bob Mowry, memorized John 14, quoted almost every funeral. John 14 says this. These are the words of Jesus. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Jesus Christ was promised, and he came just as God promised he would. He came as the Messiah. And he promised he was going to come again. He was going to come again. And so here's the thing. God has come and he took on bodily form. With that body, he gave his life. He was raised on the third day. He's now at the right hand of God so that every single person on this planet that has ever lived and is living now at death has stood and will stand before Jesus Christ. And any who are not and are not found forgiven by his grace will be judged. If you are saved by faith in Christ alone, here's what you can know that's going to happen to you the moment you die. Your eternal soul will stand before Christ and His righteousness will cover you and you will not be guilty of the sin you've committed because He's already paid the full penalty for your sin. If you have not received this, this gift, this sacrifice of heaven, you will be eternally responsible for your sin. And you will be cast into darkness with all the demons of hell and all the others who stood in opposition to Jesus Christ. The day is coming when Christ will return. As surely as Jesus came the first time, look at our text, verse 28. Having been offered once to bear the sins of many, he will come again. And what will happen, he will appear a second time, not to deal with the sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. One of my favorite hymns of all time is How Great Thou Art. Y'all know that one? I love the last section. When Christ shall come. Oh, this is the days when I wish I could say with shouts of acclamation and take me home with joy shall fill my heart, then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, my God, how great thou art. Is that what will happen to you the moment you die? Is that your future? It will be a day like no other when Christ returns. 
The Old Testament speaks of it. The same prophets who, who promised that Christ would come also promised that he would come again. Let me give you three examples. The first from the post-exilic prophet Zechariah, beginning in chapter 9. I'm going to read a lot of scripture right now. And, and here's the thing. The Bible makes its own point. The Bible tells the truth. I just want to point it to you. This is the, the, the prophet Zechariah. Then the Lord will appear over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet. First Thessalonians speaks of this trumpet. Revelation speaks of the trumpet of God. And will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts will protect them, his people. And they shall devour and tread down the sling stones. And they shall drink and roar as if drunk with wine and be full like a bowl, drenched with like the corner of the altar. On that day, the Lord their God will save them as the flock of his people. For like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine in his land. How, for how great is his goodness and how great is beauty. The pre-exilic prophet Isaiah. Isaiah is the one who speaks of the virgin who would give birth to this king, this, this mighty God, this, this father, this glorious one. In Isaiah 65, listen to what he says about the second coming of Christ. For behold, I create, I want you to remember this phrase, I create new heavens and a new earth. We're going to see that again in just a moment. And the former things shall not be remembered or come to, into mind. But be, be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in the, in the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Verse 25. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And thus shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. The exilic prophet Daniel, chapter 7, verse 27. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. These same prophets spoke of the first coming of Christ, and it happened exactly the way they said it would. They also spoke of the second coming of Christ. And the New Testament has, has reverberated with these promises. We have promises upon promises. And what we see in the book of Revelation is some of the most detailed material about the second coming of Christ. Turn with me to the end of your Bibles. Let's go to Revelation 21. I want to read large sections of this. Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Didn't we just hear that? That was the words of, of Isaiah the prophet. The book of Revelation, in this section in particular, quotes Isaiah a couple of times. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. What's going to happen? Right now, there are souls that are in heaven. When Christ returns, that heaven and this earth will pass away. And the two will become one. He's going to make all things new. And at the descent of Christ and all the saints and their resurrected bodies that will come out of the ground, there will be a new heaven and new earth, a new creation. He said, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Remember the prophecies that said, talked about Jerusalem, how this would be the delight of his eyes, how it spoke of as a loved one, as a bride. This is, again, the promise on top of the promise. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Anyone who is found guilty of their sin will be with these people of verse 8. Not just the people, but the demons of hell and the devil himself. Either you are with Christ or you are his enemy. Either you love him and he leads you, or you walk away from him and he judges you. The latter part of verse of chapter 21, beginning in verse 21, describes heaven. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates made of a single pearl. Who could do that? Only God. And the streets of the city and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Again, that picture of Zechariah, of these kingdoms coming under the authority of, of God and his people. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who, who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? You say, how can I know? Have you repented of your sin and believed on Christ? Because if you have, your name is written in the blood of Jesus in the Lamb's Book of Life. If your name is not there, it's because you never repented and you never believed, and you will be held responsible for your sin. Turn to Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, to the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything to curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Verse 12, Behold, this is the words of Jesus, the resurrected Christ, the right hand of God, says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. 
outside of the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood, either you stand with Christ or you stand against him. Either you stand with Christ or you stand with these in verse 15. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Again, prophecy, promise on top of promise, speaking again the words of Isaiah. Again, Isaiah, the spirit of the bride says, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. That is Isaiah 55. Go back and read that. Read these in conjunction with each other. The promise is made. It is re- it was remade. It's pointed to. Promise on top of promise. Jesus said in verse 18, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Those are the last words of God in his Bible. Let me ask you, have you received the sacrifice of heaven? Are you known to be a Christian? Do your family and friends know you are a Christian? Do you know you are a Christian? Are you ready for his return? Are you excited about his return? Friends, let me speak plainly if I haven't enough already. Some of you will not see another Christmas. Some of you aren't feeling well now. Some of you feel just fine. But you will, you will before 12 months have turned again, you will have stood before God and given an account for your life. And what will be your account? What will your friends and family say at your funeral? What will be the state of your soul? Some of you are at a crossroads right now. Some of you are at a very important season of life. You've got to make some decisions. And those decisions are going to choose to determine the, the trajectory of the kind of person you become. Make your decisions in light of the second coming of Jesus Christ, and you will have no regrets. Make decisions that only please you for this moment, and you'll suffer. For some of you, you have many more Christmases to come. This is just a touchstone of the many that are about to transpire. Will this Christmas, will this season, will this time be one that you look back on that says, you know what, I was heading for heaven hard. Or will you say, I was sidetracked. I chose sin. I chose me and my comfort. I chose what I wanted rather than what God commanded me. Friends, God is calling us to a blessed life. 
He made this great sacrifice so that we could live, really live. But we must choose. You must choose. Is Christ to be your friend or your enemy? Is Christ to be your Savior or your judge? Are you going to live in His light? Or will you suffer in darkness? Will you let the world know or will you keep it a secret? Will you shine with hope? Or will you fade as a coward? I want to invite you to come and pray today. Come to the altar and ask God to give you new life, to give you hope, to give you direction. Some of you know of needs of others. Come and ask God. He is a good God. He has already invested so much in you and those of this world. He would be glad to honor your request. Let's stand together. Father, we cannot thank you enough for this great gift. Lord Jesus, we worship you because you are alone worthy. You are the sacrifice of heaven. You are the King of kings. You are the priest of priests. You hear us. You give life. And what has been said of you has taken place. What what has been said as to what is to come, it too will take place. Let us be warned. And let us now worship. And let us now be humbled and stand in awe of who you are. And Lord, would you make us your faithful servants and friends and family and not your enemies that that will stand under your wrath. Lord, would you now hear the prayers of those who come and ask for your, your blessing and your grace and your goodness. God, would you work right now. We worship you. We come to you. Let's worship. Come and praise you need.